You're listening to the Orchestra Teacher Podcast. Episode 35 with Christian Howes. Welcome to the Orchestra Teacher Podcast. I am Charles Laux, your host. Today we have an extra special guest, uh, someone who I've uh, known for quite a long time and uh, have always been inspired uh, by uh, Christian House. Christian House is a violinist, composer, uh, educator. Uh, he uh, is probably one of the foremost uh, violinists uh, of our time uh, in the, what we would call the alternative styles. Um, and he's been doing a lot of great work uh, with classrooms, uh, getting teachers and students uh, started with being creative string players. So really excited for today's episode. Without further ado, here we are with Christian House. Good morning. Morning, Charles. How are you? I should say Dr. Laups. <laughs> That's totally cool. That's totally cool. How have you been? Good. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Glad that you're here. I appreciate you uh, coming on today and, um, you know, sharing some things with us and, uh, you know, always uh, inspirational, definitely uh, for, for me and um, just, I know a lot of students out there. Uh, we're always just enamored by what you do and um, how you do it and, you know, just that, that creativity element. So um, I appreciate you being here and, and uh, sharing that with us today. I'm excited. I, I love to, I love to connect where with the classroom teachers mm -hmm. uh, wherever I can. You know, I've been doing ASTA for like 15 years for that reason and uh, <clears throat> have, have traveled to many um, middle school and high schools probably hundreds of districts around mm -hmm. the United States in the last 20 years, uh, doing clinics, of course, uh, not doing as much live stuff like that now, obviously, but right. try, trying to find as many ways to interface, um, on zoom with mm -hmm. the classroom teachers. And it's always, uh, I mean, for me, it's always kind of like I'm toggling back and forth. Wait, let me, let me get some quality time with the classroom teachers, see where they are. Then, you know, d working with Suzuki teachers in their world, right. private teachers, whatever it might be, which is a kind of their different issues, concerns. And then I work with a lot of uh, adult amateurs, a lot of college students, teenagers also. So kind right. of a lot of toggling back and forth between those, those worlds as an educator mm -hmm. for me and trying to um, trying to figure out how the, the methods or the methodology that I in curriculum that I develop, how it can actually apply and continue to evolve and be useful for the people in these different spheres. Cause they, right. they all have different, different needs. So. Yeah. Everybody has different comfort levels and, uh, and that as well. So, you know, I think, uh, a lot of us, including myself have gone through our, our teaching and never had, uh, you know, a lot of improvisation or any improvisation, uh, or any kind of creative, you know, way of playing. We've always been, you know, note readers and following the page. And um, I think that's a big part of uh, education that a lot of us have missed. So um, there's there's some hesitancy by some of us um, out there to to want to put ourselves out there and and learn something new and be able to to you know go outside of our our box, I guess, if you will. Yeah, and I think, you know, for me, what comes up is just like the framework that we use to have the conversation itself is is tricky because, for example, I think a lot of us are tempted 
to want to, you know, it's like, how do we, how do we have the conversation? A lot of us are tempted to talk about it from a standpoint of learning different styles. Um, and it's like, you can have that conversation. Like, how do I learn bluegrass or how do I right. learn, you know, popular music or in this, in this situation or that situation. But I, I wonder if it's more useful to think about it instead of thinking about different styles to think about, um, uh, elements of musicianship that are, uh, I don't want to say what the word the same, but, <laughs> you know, fundamental to many situations and styles. Um, cause I think that, um, one of, <clears throat> one of the thoughts that people in, in classical music in general are, are, are having more is this idea that we're siloing music education that we're, you know, somehow segregating, um, different worlds like well if you want to do jazz you go over here if you want to do classical you go over there if you want to do quote-unquote uh participatory music of other different cultures then you go over there <laughs> and it's like well is there a way to not have it be that you know is it so for me i've been searching to figure out how to how to think of that but also how to help especially classroom teachers to think of it mm -hmm. um and so one of the one of those elements for me, if we just break it up in higher categories, like bigger chunks, mm -hmm. would be just the creative process itself. You know, there's okay. whether it's improvisation, arranging, or composing. <clears throat> so, and this is, I think, a lot of the states now have this as kind of a, a suggestion. You know, hey, uh, or mandate, or whatever they call. These yeah, things. it's a, it's it's in the standards. That's for sure. You know. Yeah, and the standards, right? And so it's like. If we if we really treat it like its own thing, um, <clears throat> just the creative process. How do we nurture that? How do we catalyze that uh, for individual students? So I've done a lot of thinking about that. And then there's these other aspects of uh, functional musicianship, which could be like um, the rhythmic construction, the harmonic construction of different musical um, different music. Yeah. And so I think. These three ideas that I just mentioned, like, in other words, um, a creative process, creative activities, um, internalizing grooves and internalizing harmony. I think these are, this is another way that we can talk about it because then that will apply whether you're trying to learn Appalachian music, whether you're trying to go into uh, worship scenarios, mm -hmm. uh, whether you're trying to play, uh, make YouTube covers of pop songs, <laughs> Uh, yeah. or jazz or any stylistic scenario if yeah. we look at kind of the what what is in common across all you know mm -hmm. all the different styles for these three things um and then of course there's the challenge of how do we present that in a classroom setting for kids right uh, whether they're live or, or or remote so i mean i'd be happy to share some of those ideas absolutely if, if, you're, if you're open to it we would love um, it so first of all for the the creative process and um a distinction i like to share uh, with my students and with teachers is the idea that um well there was a book by i think daniel kahneman called fast thinking and slow thinking uh slow thinking fast thinking okay. and, and the idea is that uh um for things that we are an expert at our brain moves really fast. So like if you pick up the violin and, you know, and play it right-handed, then, you know, 
if you want to see what it feels like to play slow, try to do it left, <laughs> right? And Absolutely. Same thing like with, with chess, like you've got to play 100 games of chess before you know how the pieces work, let alone you can be like really creative or like plan ahead. And so <clears throat> for music, with well, I like to I like to keep creativity and learning separately. So creativity can be a fast thinking process if a couple things happen. So one of those things is we want to give students or ourselves super, super clear limitations, instructions, actually. Mm -hmm. Think of it as like a math class. It's like, here's how you do this multiplication problem. Go do 30 of them, and then we're going to go to the next variation. Right. And if we put <coughs> kids in a situation where improvisation is involved, <clears throat> but we literally give them these very limited choices and very clear instructions, you can only choose between this and that. And what I typically see, uh, and a lot of this comes from the jazz studies canon will come down is um, not to disparage that canon, which I also am part of, but, um, but I think it also can have its own pitfalls or places to grow. But a lot of times what will come, what will happen is, is a, a teacher will come into, let's say an orchestra class and say, okay, um, I'm going to teach you this blue scale. And I'm going to show you this, uh, this uh, swing rhythm and this blues form. Okay, so now you got all that. Okay, now just play whatever you want from that pentatonic scale. So here's what's missing. There's not as, first of all, there's too much unknown to the student. They don't right. know the pentatonic scale well enough yet. Even though they just learned it, that's like us taking music theory but that doesn't mean we we can apply those chords on our instrument. There's a difference right. between learning the theory and feeling and applying stupid. it. Yeah, and applying yeah. it. Yeah. And so so that's number one. It's like wait, and and also swing rhythm is feels unfamiliar. And there's this song of playing on blues that might feel really unfamiliar, right? So it's all well intended, and it's and it's all great. Like there's a lot of great aspects of this. Mm -hmm. Like we want to teach the blues, we want to teach swing, we want to teach you know the blues scale. It can be useful, um, but then when you set up that kid and you say, okay, now play whatever you want, then the kid is might have a fail experience. Yeah, they're just overwhelmed. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you can speak to this in a in a way that, from your own experience, in in ways that I wouldn't even know because you're you know you're in the classroom every single day, which yeah. is why I love having these conversations. So, yeah. um, so what we want to do instead is we want to give very clear instructions, um, and we want to make sure that the instructions we give to that student are within something they already know, like the back of their hand. Yep. That's the best teaching is, uh, you know, one, one thing at a time, one new concept at a time building on what they already know. Right. Exactly. So, well, I mean, I'm glad to hear that. I, I believe you. So, um... <laughs> that's, that's, that's Pestalozzi. That's a uh, old, old, old school, uh, pedagogy and, um, you know, that's what, what a, lo a lot of great teaching is based upon is just introducing one new concept at a time, um, not, you know, that that will make the student successful and be able to continue to build, but uh, just, you know, throwing them into the, into the wolves and saying, here's a, you know, G pentatonic scale, you got to do swing rhythms and you got to do the chord changes too. Like that's, that's overwhelming. Right. Yeah. 
So I'll share, so I'll share this sure. icebreaker, which I think speaks to this really specifically. So this is a, an icebreaker that I do um, where I'll ask people to do um, kind of, it's a sequence. So first I'll say, and I give clear instructions, and you can have all the kids in your class do this at the same time yep. in a live classroom if you like. So I'll start with um, play quarter notes at a given tempo and just play on one note and mm -hmm. then improvise that um, within that improvise, right? Sure. Which is kind of a head scratcher, right? So, and I might even say, we're just gonna play open A. We're gonna all play it together. And within that, you can improvise. Ready, go. So they'll do, they're just doing this. And so they get, you know, they can figure out that, well, all I can improvise with is my volume, my articulation, mm -hmm. maybe the bow direction, right? And he said, okay, this is great. And they're kind of looking at you like, this is boring, right? <laughs> right. Now let's do it with, let's do it with two notes. Now you can choose between open D and open A. So same tempo applies. There's no rests. You know, you can't change the tempo. You can't change the rhythm, right? So very clear instructions. Mm -hmm. So then they're going to do something like... Then you can do this for 20 seconds, whatever yeah. you want. So then you say, um, okay, so D major scale. Everybody knows the D major scale in this class, right? And maybe you only know it in two strings. So then we're going to confine to that. We're going to say only where you know the D major scale on two strings. And we're going to do the same rhythmic duration we just did. Uh, same rules, but you can pick any notes in the D major scale. Another intermediate step would say like maybe three notes or four notes, but we're going to try with the D major scale. So, so you can do this for maybe 20 seconds, maybe mm -hmm. 30 seconds. Uh, the next step, um, well, one of the things that I like to do is to introduce atonality as soon as possible, because when people are in well, it just opens something up. So I'll, now your students may not be comfortable with that. They may. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I was going to say um, my chamber orchestra, we're working on um, the Barber Serenade right now. And a lot of them um, haven't played a lot of contemporary music. And they're like, Dacha Laux, just, just sound just like random stuff going. I'm like, hold on. You got like, it takes a while to get used to it. it takes a while to start to understand what the composer was trying to do. I mean, Barber, it's Opus One, but it's, it's so great. Uh, it's awesome music and you can kind of hear the, you know, the, 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 uh, the direction of the phrasing and all kinds of cool stuff in there. But our, my students are thinking, these are all just random notes right now, you know? So, um, but yes, it takes, it takes a while. And, and if you start them why they only know the D major scale and that's great. Yeah. And so for, for students that are up for it, or, you know, if they're able, then I'm, I would say, okay, now you can play any flats, any sharps, any naturals, you know, all 12 notes. So that same exercise we did before. Then you might have a, a student playing this this kind of line, right? Depending on their level, obviously, sure. we, we're always going to tailor it to whatever whatever their ability is. But also, just a side note that if that if you have all students, like forty students in a high school orchestra, doing this exercise that I just showed you together, it sounds amazing. <laughs> it sounds amazing because 
there's the unifying aspects that are happening uh which which kind of makes the harmony random and you can actually really feel the music because it's like well no let's everybody play together you know let's everybody attack and release mm -hmm. together and you can even I, I even do conducted group improvisations with with just this kind of thing where we're just conducting a note and the and it's a free note and so yeah the, as you said like the kids will open up to this uh their ears to it yes um yes so then the next thing I'll do is I'll say, well, let's introduce rests. So going back to the tonal situation, um, maybe we'll do, um, you can either play a quarter note or a rest. Rest. Rest, rest, rest. You can do that for a while. So again, each one of these can be done with an individual student or they can make a submission of this on a video and like turn it in or it can be done in the classroom whether it's the tonal or the non-tonal one uh then at the next point i might say um because they're getting gradually more and more comfortable maybe just with this idea of choosing things right so i might say well let's do it with triplets um you know we're gonna do Something like this, triplets, right? Or I might say, now let's introduce two different rhythmic durations. So quarter notes or eighth notes and or rests. So two, three, rest. So this kind of thing, having them improvise like this. Then I might say, uh, yeah, I'll continue to toggle back and forth between using 12 notes or using a, a major scale tonality. Okay. Cool. So you get comfortable with both. And then at that point, I'll probably say, okay, this time you can change the tempo whenever you want. You can use any rhythmic duration you want, and uh, it can be any note you want. So at that point, then you could have the whole class do this together or that one student. So, and it could be... It could be anything, right? <laughs> yeah, actually right. The right. La you know, it's actually now it's free improvisation. So this is the this is the icebreaker, which gives students uh, from this very like choose one or two, and then all the way to this kind of free place. And um, the only purpose of it is to facilitate the creative process. That's the only yeah. purpose. It's not a lot of people then they second guess it or they put caveats on it. They'll say like, well, but I thought you were gonna teach me how to play chord progressions or I, you know, I really wanted to learn how to play a song. It's like, that's a separate, that's a separate yeah, thing. We're gonna do that skill. But this is, but the creative process, it's so important to, to nurture this. So I don't know how that strikes you, but. No, I, I think that that's exactly it because um, again, you know, a lot of us are, are we're, we're, we are teaching, you know, some rote things, but um, it's, you know, I play, you play, uh, or, or it's familiar songs or a melody that they already know. And I, I think it's important for kids to get away from what they know and, and be able to, you know, improvise where they're composing as they perform, that's, that's the skill. And then, you know, getting away from the written page too. I mean, uh, I have a lot of students who, um, 
adamantly almost refused to play without something in front of them, you know, page, you know, written, written page. And, um, there's a, there's a whole world of, of music out there, as you know, that, uh, they're missing out on and uh, they're limiting themselves, you know, and as a, it's just not, it's unfortunate, but, uh, starting this when they're young as beginners is, is the key. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so this, um, this uh, um this creative piece then later on can be married back into a more um like functional situation mm-hmm. you know so later on if it's if you're playing over a bluegrass tune or over a a pop groove and you you know once the kids are or any of us once we're comfortable with thinking about the overlying structure and limits that we put uh, to help us feel more free, free creating, then we can adapt them to that situation. Yeah. So I'll try to see if I can find a loop here, actually. Yeah, so this is from uh, Dua Lipa, which is a popular song called Don't Start Now. And I made this on my loop pedal, actually just with my violin. Cool. So all everything you're hearing is uh, the loops that I make on my <laughs> with my violin. And... Uh, it's that popular song by Dua Lipa. Uh, I think I have, actually, I just happen to have the sheet music here, so you'll recognize if I play it. Um, yeah. Everybody probably recognize that, right? Yeah, I've heard it before. <laughs> a couple of years ago, it's a pop song. So if we have a um, if we have a track like this, um, one thing I'll just show you a rhythm exercise real quick. Cool. <clears throat> what I like to do with the bow is to get it going down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up. So just. to do is I like to um, teach people to kind of mute their strings really easily by just letting all of your fingers just kind of fall over the string mm-hmm. lightly, not hard, not pressing, trying to get a pitch. Right. And then you lighten up your bow and you get this kind of, you know, it's kind of ghosting sound. Right, the ghost. And so to practice for subdivision, because because um, eventually, if, and if I don't know if everybody will be able to see my bow, but eventually you could have your bow moving at the 16th note level and you could play everything with the bow moving like that. Like eventually, not that I would necessarily do that all the time, but it's yeah. a, it's useful. But it's to a be cool able- technique. And, uh, and, and people that, that can't see the bow, basically he's, he's just choosing which notes he wants to put his finger down to create the pitch. And otherwise it's just kind of resting on there, giving him the ghost, but his bow was moving in 16th notes the whole time. Exactly. That's pretty cool style. And, 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 you know, obviously probably obvious to, to you, to a lot of the listeners and, and to yourself is like, you know, we, we're always teaching subdivision is such an important part of teaching any orchestra class, maybe the most important, you know, <laughs> hearing the subdivision, playing the subdivision, you know, internalizing subdivision. So this is forcing us to do it with our body. Physically. Yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. I, in my classroom, um, the S word is 
subdivide. <laughs> we call it the S word. <laughs> exactly. So so we can so we can practice this. We'll go at the eighth note level for now, but we can do you know eight played and then eight muted. So it would look like down up 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 down. We can go four to four. go to two and then at that point is where it starts getting tricky because we start playing um rhythms that are i guess i'm not even sure what the right word is but <laughs> if they're somehow syncopated so i'll show yeah, you down I mean. down bow and up bow the up bow would be the offbeat right so yes yeah right so if we start leaning into the offbeat with certain types of rhythms that's when it really breaks down so i think like for yeah. example this one i think people would have trouble with which would be like um down up up down up up down up up so, so i'm playing you yeah know, down up down up but usually people will have a hard time moving their bow on that third eighth right yeah but that would be i mean that would be useful in, in a lot of instances not just uh you know with the loop that you're using but you know even in mozart or whatever you know i mean anything any kind of uh, educational music or anything you'd be working on in class uh, that's a great strategy yeah and so and so this is something that um so kids can you can practice these subdividing rhythms just by themselves you can also while you're doing these and i do a lot of these on the my play alongs mm -hmm. uh, and i i put a you know video on on the or, thanks for letting me share a video on yeah we're going to be sharing that uh very soon um with uh on the orchestra teacher youtube channel so i appreciate you contributing uh and we'll be uh doing like a little intro to talk to you about uh all about what it is that he's doing and then we'll just have have chris go go to town with that video it's really cool uh you know play along and uh just getting some different styles in there it's really really awesome yeah yeah and so a lot of the play alongs that are over at, at uh my youtube channel they are these they're just this where the kids can just play along and do these exercises but these are yeah. also exercises that teachers can create themselves or, or you don't have to you can use my play ones right so, well um, just just real quick uh you, especially during the pandemic i know that you created tons of these things how many yeah. do you have on your channel right now hundreds several <laughs> I, I think there's i think there's close to 300 that are just play alongs and it's all levels um, right yeah you know, I, I know you specify you kind of specify that you say oh you know grades five to eight or whatever and obviously um if they're just starting out and they're you know a senior in high school they might need to start with those grades five to eight eight ones to really you know start that creative process and and feel comfortable yeah yeah, yeah. and a lot of times they're they're play alongs like you know um where i'll be like okay play after me <laughs> You play, blah, 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 starting on D. You play, right? F sharp. F sharp. So there's a couple elements there. One is giving them enough time uh, to, to hear it and process it and start, right? You know, not, not playing too long of a phrase, so it needs to be right. short enough, short enough. And then I like to give the starting note for people a lot of times. Um, but uh, that's kind of how they work. And then I tailor them to different levels of ability. Yes, that's awesome. Um, but I do a lot also with just the grooving exercise. So just having them play along with these different grooves um, where they're playing the whole time. They don't stop. They just keep the bow moving. So, And I might 
You know, so just play this rhythm with me. You know, practice this. And I'll ask him to, to sway left, right, left, right. Sway your body from side to side. Stand up if you want. Yeah. Now, um, but beyond that, I'll also, going back to that first icebreaker that I shared with you, um, beyond that, I will instruct or prompt students to make their own decisions mm -hmm. um, without having to play back for me anything. So, that, so one way that might look is I might say, okay, you're going to be improvising, but I'm going to tell you the rules. So um, we're going to start with long bows. It's going to be like, pick any note from D major and play a long bow with me. Ready, play. You're holding that long note. It's not the same note as my note, right? And now we're going to switch to another note in D major. Play it. Right? And some of my grooves are going to be more lending the C sharp. Is a pretty <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. And if it was, I could also say, well, let's use any of the notes in the pentatonic scale, and then we can put them up on the chalkboard, right? But I'll, but in that case, it's like you're picking the note, and this is when you're playing it. It's not just play whatever you want, but this is like you're playing it right now, and that mm -hmm. piece of scaffolding makes a huge difference. And then I might speed it up. I say, okay, now we're gonna play twice as long. So play now, change now, change now, change now, twice as fast. again for me the way that i would help the students win on this situation is i would put it either on the chalkboard or actually on a piece of uh, note paper on their stands um i would give them that maybe that pentatonic scale in the range where they're going to play it not just the roots i would not put the letter names i would put the dots if they read dots. okay mm -hmm. um because i feel like that's going to that's going to help accelerate the process for them and give them some security in right. it. Like, here's the six notes. They're in dots. You can see, and they're just in the range that you know, whether in whether for D major pentatonic uh, on the violin, that actually starts on A. So that would be like writing out the scale and extended range for me because I'm an advanced player. Sure. Or, or even if somebody else, you could put it up in higher positions. I usually stay in first position. But again, if it's somebody that only plays on two strings, let's say, um, then it might just be here with fourth finger on the E. Mm -hmm. And that's all they can choose from. If they have that in front of them and they're looking at those notes, then they don't have to, you know, they're not going to freak out and be like, I can't remember the scale. Yeah, and oh, that's the way to do it. Freaking out. We just want to success. Yeah. You give them that framework and uh, keep them, you know, keep them within that. And then, and then you can tell them, it's like, well, you can play any of these notes. Why don't you try some on the G or the E or whatever, if they, if they don't have that range, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, when we did that, I would give them, I would give them the dots. I would just, I would just put that, that one limited scale. I would kind of just write it out as dots, you know, um, diagonally, like and maybe coming back down as well. I'd make it as easy as possible for them to see it. And then I get more specific. I say, well, let's play just two notes, you know, um, and let's do this rhythm, da-da, you know, so. Mm -hmm. 
Cool. So, and now we give more and more kinds of instructions like this until again, they get free and, um, or they feel free with it, right? Whether it's yeah. in this tonal setting or a non-tonal setting. And now we continue to give them more and more instructions, like use different techniques, like bouncing bows, long bows, pizzicato, harmonics, whatever you want. Use different emotions, like, mm -hmm. you know, something sad, something happy, and then more and more musical elements, like, you know, um, elements of phrasing, elements of rhythmic duration. But the thing, when I say that, it gets married back to this this song because it, it still comes back to having parameters to help us make choices to structure create improvisation mm -hmm. rather than just feeling like okay so make up something are you brilliant or not <laughs> right right that oh that freaks kids out and they're like then they shut down and and then they don't want to do it you know so you really do have to you do have to think through it um, with some intent and you know with some sequence. You know, and I think that what what you're doing is is awesome, and and how you do it is great. Um, I we know uh, a lot of people know that you have uh, you know workshops that you do, um, and they're all kind of they've been all over the place lately because of uh, COVID, and I know you've been having done some virtual, but um, do you have anything coming up uh, this summer that teachers can maybe take advantage of or students even? Yeah. I'm probably going to do something in Asheville uh, for two weeks in July this summer. It'll probably be smaller uh, events, but I have had some teachers come join me. Asheville, North Carolina, not too yeah. far from <laughs> right, there. right. Um, and uh, um, so, yeah, just reach out to me, uh, Chris at ChristianHouse.com, if you want to ask about workshops. We do a lot of virtual stuff. We're also now doing um, a pay what you want, including free. Um, live Zoom classes for classrooms. So, which means that literally, if you are a teacher with a middle school or high school orchestra classroom, you can literally just send me an email and say, these are the times and days when my class meets, will you come and teach our kids for 45 minutes? And the answer is yes, we will. I just wow. need teachers to, to literally just reach. And we're doing, it's a pay what you want. It's totally donation. Um, I, I do thank Diodario for giving us some sponsorship, right. uh, but basically we're trying to create this thing because, because if like, let's say, um, Dr. Laux, if you were to say like, well, I have this class, a high school class Fridays at 10 AM. And I think that they would benefit from a 45 minute play along class. You yeah. know, you're going to bring me in on zoom on the screen in your classroom, or if kids are home, then you're going to give them the zoom link for that. Right. Yeah. Let's say you decide, okay, we're going to try this. <clears throat> so you let me know. Uh, okay. So it's going to be two weeks from now, Friday at 10 AM. Then what I do is I I open it up to everybody else in our database and I say, well, we're doing this class at 10 AM on Friday. So anybody else who wants to come, come. And because if we have enough people that comes, then somebody donates, you know, two hundred dollars. Somebody else says, "I can't afford anything; it's free." Somebody sure. else, you know, puts in ten bucks, twenty bucks, and so that's how we're trying to make this happen. That's great. That's great. Well, that, that's a uh, an awesome service, and um, you know, again, just getting kids to to think about what they do differently, um, getting excited, and, and I know for me. Uh, some of my students who are the most creative and the best improvisers and the ones that want to do this aren't always my top, top players, uh, you know, as, as far as all state level or whatever, they just, they, they love doing this. They love, this is, you know, this is music to them. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they like the orchestra setting, but they also want to be able to do this kind of creative things on the side or on their own or 
even in class. So I like to say that that creativity creativity is the ultimate equalizer. Like I remember when I went to Delaware Hayes High School back in you know, uh, which is near Columbus, mm -hmm. uh, Ohio, and I remember. I was a concertmaster in my high school orchestra, but there, the kid who sat last chair, second violin, that kid was creative. He would bring in tapes of his own music that he was singing on four tracks back then in the 80s. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I was jealous of that kid. And, so, and, and in a good way, right? Like that was part of what inspired me to join a rock band and go on this, on my whole trajectory. So creativity is an equalizer where, you know, every kid can feel that their voice is... Yeah valid and that they're even if they don't have the chops so to so to say yeah but um but well so i think i think a lot of a lot of teachers might be inspired by you know your story too because you're like kind of a prodigy and you you play i know you were very young you played with the columbus symphony um so you you were classically trained were you suzuki yeah, I was Suzuki trained from age five, and then I studied with Michael Davis in, in yeah. high school, and then that's why I went to OSU to continue my studies with him. And I actually had a full-time contract with uh, Columbus Pro Musica. Yeah, it was a great chamber orchestra. Yeah, it's a legit chamber orchestra. I had a full-time contract with them when I was 18. And then uh, later on, I, I was offered a full-time sub job with the Columbus Symphony, and I played, mm -hmm. you know, I played the Mendelssohn for the, you know, for the, the young concerto kids thing in high school, you know. <laughs> Well, that's, I was a very serious, you know, classical. Right. Yeah, people may not know it now. They may just assume right. well, he doesn't really, you know. But I love classical music. Love, <laughs> love it. Yeah. And, uh, but, but on these on these play long classes when we do them, my my thing is that that the kids will be playing the entire time. So that's that's one of the things about our play long classes, and and when I structure them, it's 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 kind of this idea I have in the back of my mind is just um whatever we do it's fine but i want the kids to be playing the entire time and that's that's one of my my thoughts in this whole zoom thing is like well how can we get kids to just be playing more mm -hmm. well that's also you know one one more thing of great teaching is you know having the kids playing as much as possible and uh, a lot of us fall into the uh, talking too much thing and kids don't want to aren't there to hear us talk <laughs> they're there to play you know so that's fantastic. Um, yeah. yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, uh, this has been fantastic. Uh, I appreciate you you taking the time out to do it. Um, again, there'll be a video coming out um, on the Orchestra Teacher YouTube channel um, that features Christian House, and um, just in obviously there'll be links and everything to his channel, so you can check out all the amazing, amazing resources uh, that he has available. But uh, it's just it's an honor to have you here. I appreciate it very much. And uh, uh, teachers, if you haven't. Uh, worked uh, with Christian or uh, seen his work, um, definitely check it out. I think it could be a very inspiring, eye-opening for a lot of you and just something that uh, will also do the same for your teachers or for your students. So, Thank, thank you so much, Dr. Laux. Charles, thanks so much for having <laughs> me, man. And Absolutely. I really appreciate everything that, you're, that you do for your students and all of your listeners. I mean, I just can't say enough how much I respect and appreciate admire what you're doing all of you and and especially uh for you dr laps for for supporting all the teachers in doing that as well in addition <laughs> to your, to your full-time gig and everything you do i know as a dad and you know it's just it's really humbling and inspiring so i appreciate you thanks well, 
Well, thank you again. And uh, for everybody out there, we will catch you next time on the Orchestra Teacher Podcast. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and more information, please visit the Orchestra Teacher website at www.orchestrateacher.net.